0: so you're seeing companies who are traditionally insuring crops like tomatoes and and vegetables etc um, and they're they're applying those same types of wordings and that's what i think so unique about cannabis in the industry itself it's not unique at all and that you're still you still have a plant that's producing a good at the end of the day
1: Welcome to The Defense Never Rests with Morgan and Akins, your monthly dose of uncommon sense about all things legal and some that are not. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this episode of The Defense Never Rest. I am your host, Megan Henry, and joined by my co-host, Wendy Smith. Hi, Wendy. Hi, Megan. Uh, So happy to have you again. And as a theme in my podcast with you, we're talking about drugs again. We're talking about cannabis today. But it's a little bit different today. We have on uh, Braden York, who's the manager of risk and insurance at Aurora Cannabis, um, which is a Canadian company um, that develops cannabis products mostly in, in in Canada. But I thought it'd be really interesting to have him come on and talk about you know his side of things. We often talk here about the implications of you know cannabis use at you know in the workers' comp situation or you know at work and with. You know general liability associated with it but on his side it's a little bit different so i'm like really curious to ha- hear his point of view and canada is much different than the united states at this point with regulations so um i think he's gonna have a lot to add absolutely so with that said let's bring him in good afternoon Braden. so so happy to for you to join us today on the defense of arrest how are you
0: i am good thank you for having me
1: I am super excited um, to have you today because we're going to talk about, I think a topic that everyone likes to talk about is drugs. (laughs) (laughs) Especially Um, marijuana. (laughs) Yes. Yes. I mean, that's essentially what we are talking about. But before we jump into that, I mean, it is such an interesting background and I will say you're our first, um, you're my my first guest who works clearly in the cannabis industry. We've talked a lot about it on the podcast with, um, you know, the implications of you know marijuana use in the workplace, and from a comp perspective and liability perspective. But we actually haven't had anyone on who's in the industry, so I'm really excited about that. So you know, thank you for coming on.
0: Happy to be here.
1: <laughs> so for for our listeners who don't know, um, you are the insurance and risk manager at Aurora Cannabis. Now, can you you know give us a little bit of background of what Aurora Cannabis? does and you know essentially what what your company does
0: yeah of course and before i get in obviously the uh, regular disclaimers the opinions that i express are solely my own and do not express the views or opinions of my employer so this is just going to be me talking you know from my perspective um so aurora cannabis is a global medical cannabis producer um, licensed in canada they produce products for both the medical cannabis market, the consumer use cannabis market, and then the global hemp-derived cannabinoid market. So although you do mention drugs, CBD is involved in that, and that is something, as you're aware, is uh, regulated and for sale in the United States. And so that's also an area of the business that uh, the company focuses on. And um, basically that's that's pretty much it so you know you talk about those three main uh branches of product distribution and um that's kind of where aurora has focused um those who may or may not be aware but cannabis was legalized in canada in 2018 uh and through that uh there's been you know quite a bit of um growth in the market as far as stabilization um you know a lot of people like to say it's it's mile one or, or kilometer one of a marathon. Mm-hmm. It's definitely very young in the industry. And you're starting to see that on a global basis, not only in Canada, but um, internationally, including United States, where there's a lot of discussion around, you know, legalization, but it just hasn't quite happened yet. Um, but for now, Aurora is an established company that operates in Canada.
1: And, and super exciting, though, I think, for, for I, I, as I would imagine, for, for you to be in a company that is in such a growing industry at mile one or kilometer one, I mean, you have to have, at least I think I would have this sense of excitement being like, wow, I'm really at the start of something huge and new and you're at the beginning of it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's interesting because I've actually been involved with cannabis for quite a while. So in Canada, before there was actually legalization on a um, national basis, there was actually legislation that was, Uh, set up called MMAR. And it's similar to what kind of regulation you would see in the United States with people who actually do get access to medical cannabis. So when I was an insurance broker prior to joining um, Aurora, actually, I had experience working with uh, companies who were actually licensed to produce cannabis on behalf of medical patients who were given special access rights uh, for medical use cannabis before it was actually legalized on a national basis so that was kind of you know an interesting involvement i've seen personally from showing up to clients who had very kind of uh, different operations to now uh, large-scale um, cannabis producers who operate in say you know like Aurora eu gmp, certified facilities which are very much different than uh, what you used to see
1: now so i wanted to actually get into a little bit of your background because you know you you did you were working at a broker before so you know tell us a little bit about your career trajectory and how you know you where you started and how you kind of made it over into this this world
0: yeah yeah you bet so i uh finished business school and um like many, I I wanted to get into software development. And so I was working for a um, SAP subsidiary doing um, essentially software for SAP. And uh, it was a business one integrations consultant, and I hated it. (laughs) I hated programming all day. I'm not the kind of person that has that personality. So um, thankfully, you know, my family has properties and, and insurance was a big part of that. And so i was curious and i'm I'm the kind of person that i'm i have a very curious mind and so at that time i was just looking for something different and i had thought i would look into insurance and i've loved it ever since and many people say that um, about insurance you know you could say that a lot of people get into it through their parents etc but i've just really found it a a fascinating industry um, in that it's involved in almost everything you do i mean there's Uh, every product that's out has some type of insurance implication. Uh, Not that it's the, you know, be all end all all solution to things, but insurance is definitely a big part of a way a lot of companies do business. And so after um, that, I actually moved to Vancouver. I'm from a small small province uh, and a small city in the middle of Canada. (laughs) And so I moved to Vancouver, Canada, which is a big city and there's bigger companies there. Uh, And so I got an opportunity to kind of work with some of the, the larger entities um, I did start a, try to start my own insure tech company at one point, which uh, was an interesting experience. And then uh, after that, I moved on to Aon Risk Solutions, where I kind of got uh, working in general practice to eventually uh, specialize more in pharmaceutical and work with pharmaceutical companies. And from there, I uh, joined Aurora. And so it was a kind of a nice transition because... Yeah. Um, of all the licensed cannabis companies, um, when I was looking at Aurora across the spectrum of them, I noticed that there was quite a bit of focus on medical cannabis. Um, and you know, having had a history in it, um, I you know really seen that as, as where my values aligned. And so uh, of all the companies, I, I really thought that it was a cool opportunity to join Aurora. And here I am three years later almost.
1: <laughs> so I want to backtrack real quick because you've... You mentioned that you started your own intertech company, um, and so I find that fascinating just because the intertech market is huge as well, it's yes. another, you know, newer market that's booming. Um, so, if you don't mind sharing, like how, how you know, how did that go, it obviously it didn't go great that you're not lo- no longer doing it, but maybe <laughs> you sold your company, I don't know, but, um, you know, how did you go about starting that?
0: Um, Yeah. So, I mean, in that case, it was just, I think what everybody experiences and why you see the insure tech market so hot is people are just frustrated. They're frustrated Mm -hmm. with the way things were, you know, done traditionally and it's going to change, you know, at that time. Um, We had uh, tried actually, you know, the platform we were trying to start was kind of a a LinkedIn, but for buildings. So our kind of concept was that instead of creating a profile for your professional self, you would say create a profile for the buildings that you would Mm insure. And underwriters uh, could then just connect directly with uh, those buildings to provide terms and underwrite them that way. Um, so much like a recruiter might use your LinkedIn profile to find you for employment, an underwriter could use your LinkedIn, you know, building profile for uh, offering property insurance. And so yeah. it's kind of a concept we had. Uh, unfortunately, just the development and everything didn't work out. And at a certain point, it kind of life moves on. So that's yeah. that's about it. Well,
2: good for well, you. I for want to talk about it yeah. Oh, go ahead. I thought it was interesting what you actually said is that your family or families encourage you to, to go into the insurance industry because it's sort of like, you know, you think about law, like, at least in the United States, it's, all, it's kind of like the opposite. Like most people whose parents go into law, they'll either encourage their kids to go into law or they'll say, don't do it, you know, <laughs> pick something else or whatever. So I think that's interesting that you come from a long line of insurance uh, background within your own family. Well, nobody was really in
0: insurance. It was more of a pain point, like we paid yeah. insurance premiums. And I think it was more I like, why, why are our insurance premiums so high? That was it was nobody really. Uh, I'll, I'll say I'm I'm still the one who has to look at the family insurance policies. because no, <laughs> Nobody wants to do it.
1: Well, and now, I mean, now you like have to because that is really <laughs> you're you really know what you're looking at. Like this isn't just like, oh, Braden kind of knows like you look yeah. at insurance policies all the time.
0: <laughs> yes, exactly.
1: Um, but I do do want to touch on how you mentioned, like, it, it, you know, talking about the insurance industry, because what you said is not is something that many of our guests say. So you you're not alone when many guests say the insurance industry is super interesting, and you know, some, a lot of people haven't come from come come from it, and they end up falling into it and staying in, into it just because the opportunities are so. Endless. And so, um, I want I at least want you to know, like. You're amongst many others who share <laughs> and share your, your feelings about the insurance industry. At least people who listen to this podcast, I think, would appreciate hearing that again because it's a very common theme I hear in my seat.
0: <laughs> yeah, definitely.
1: Um, so with Aurora, though, so I mean, you've been there for uh, a few years now. So how how have you... And probably in that time, you've probably seen a lot, an extreme amount of growth since you've even started. So, how what have you witnessed in the change in the cannabis industry since you you got in there?
0: I think a lot of it, you know, just again speaking broadly, is stabilization. Anybody who really looks at the industry can say there's just there were so many unknowns, right? Um, market sizing, the, the types of products, how the black and gray markets would interact with. Um, that because I mean reality is people have been consuming cannabis for decades Um, you know it's it's not like it's new so these these products were out there and they existed and so um, it's been it's been a really interesting evolution to kind of seeing you know what what happened when the the rubber hit the road I know in Canada a lot of the talk kind of at the start was that Um, you know, there was just not enough retail stores, um, because you had all of these producers and and such producing the actual cannabis, but then there was nowhere to buy it, really. And so (laughs) you you kind of had this situation where you'd have, you know, a bunch of liquor stores in the neighborhood, but there was no cannabis stores. And so there was a little bit of um, difference there. But I think, you know, a lot of this stuff is just going to take time to work out. And like any natural market, there's going to be a supply demand equation that uh, eventually kind of uh, gets sorted out and right now again we're only a couple of years in so there's there's just so much evolution still to occur as far as um, what that does look like
2: yeah um and well, i mean i oh, i was just going to say like cuz canada you're just saying that like it's it's nationally legal you know like you yeah. guys from what i read didn't come into the us market until 2020 and have you run into issues you know with the us because there's the federal side and then you have the individual states
0: yeah, so I mean, to to be clear, and I mean, just again, speaking from uh, like a personal perspective, personal. like if you look to Aurora, <laughs> Aurora does not sell like, like cannabis in the United States with THC. So you would say like the CBD is, is hemp derived CBD. Those are CBD products, which, you know, under the Farm Bill Act are approved. Um, for sale and distribution in the country and so I mean that's kind of something where if you said to look at the United States it's it's looked at with an eye of yeah definitely interest there um, but I mean most and I don't I don't believe any LPs um, at least that I'm aware of like actually operate in the United States um, because of the whole federal um yeah part of it there might be subsidiaries of those companies I, that operate through different types of agreements but um, you know for Aurora specifically our our CBD brand is Reliva and they work um, in retail stores they sell their products there and um, yeah it's, it's a good product so yeah, I encourage you to, to check it out and buy some. <laughs> yeah.
2: Well that's what people don't seem to understand too when they say they hear about cannabis and the word cannabis or whatever uh, you know especially in the United States they think about you know people call it weed pot you know whatever but there's a store that just opened up uh up the street from my house I live in the suburbs outside of Philadelphia and it's uh they sell different types of products you know from uh you know oils massage oils like things like that with the CBD and people I'm like, people are like oh did you hear about the marijuana store that opened up the street and I'm like no, they're not they're not selling <laughs> like illegal drugs and I, I think that's kind of like the mentality people have to kind of get out of
0: yeah you know, like yeah definitely i and it's you know it's one of those things where like if you look at the traditional uses for hemp itself just over you know generations you know a lot of sales to uh for ships back in the day rope etc a lot of commercial products were actually made from industrial hemp um, and so, you know, if you looked at the, the way that a lot of the innovation around hemp products, which is a very, in my opinion, is sustainable crop, where you can have, you know, very fast growth cycles compared to trees that might take Um, decades to get to full cycle you can have a a industrial hemp crop grow in a single season and so you know the application of sustainable products is is there for that and I think that's kind of what they were trying to get at with the farm bill in the first place was to say like they do recognize there was a um an industrial use of this um plant but it gets bunched in with cannabis and marijuana and that whole craze which is kind of a a weird you know uh, application of of a again a plant that grows in the dirt. So it's yeah. it's really interesting to see how that stigma has lasted since, I you know early generations and and it's still kind of there. And I think it will still take a few decades. But when you do talk to people who are of younger generations, they they tend to understand um, that there is it isn't all you know um, scare <laughs> of this product. It, it's there's many different uses for it, not only from cannabis side of things but you know the hemp side of it as well
1: so in, I think both you bring up a, a good point though um, I think some of our listeners might not understand or realize the difference so if you could' if, like what is the difference between you know a CBD product and a hemp product and like a marijuana like a, a regular marijuana based product like I yeah I, I don't think that's I don't I don't think I totally know.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. So if you if you look at the cannabis plant, and in that kind of um, plant itself, I mean, there's there's over 100 different cannabinoids in the cannabis plant. And so if you look at hemp, which is, you know, traditionally a, a crop that has lower THC, which is the psychoactive component of the cannabis plant. Um, it's, generally good for industrial purposes because it has very strong fibers uh, etc material and can be used that uh, traditional you know marijuana cannabis is what you would say is is what people generally reference where there is uh, a mix of CBD and, and higher levels of THC. Um, but that's just two of the hundreds of cannabinoids that are that are in these plants. And so, you know, a lot of the thought around uh, cannabis has always just been focused on those two main cannabinoids. Um, and then they even break down further. And I think if you look at the United States um, and even the Farm Bill Act and how they defined it, um, there's a lot of questions around just even um, THC and delta h versus delta 9thc, which are two different cannabinoids and so um, you again run into a lot of confusion or, around those two kind of items but um, at the end of the day it's a plant that has yeah. you know many different um, properties to it and you know some of the properties uh, like the cannabis that somebody might consume um, just ha- so happens to have a, um, a psychoactive component to it that can you know essentially, um aid in different um symptoms that somebody might have um that's pretty much it
1: and so and uh, aurora is really i think couched as a pharmaceutical company right because you're you're it's more uh, there's more of a, a medical use to the products provided if i'm not if i'm not mistaken
0: yeah, so I mean, you could you could say that you know uh, uh, one of the focuses for a company like Aurora is medical. Um, I think you know if you kind of look at how the market has has kind of played out, um, there's there's really in the the consumer side a a point where. Um, the, the consumer base is a little bit different. And then in the medical side, it's, it's you know, people are looking to treat uh, a symptom and pain. And so you have different client bases. It's not that there is not an opportunity for different cannabis companies to approach either market. But um, if you were to say kind of where there's a big opportunity in, in the consumer space for cannabis products, it's definitely on the medical side. Um, and that's just because, I mean, as we've seen a a globally, there's, you know, say opioid epidemic, and there's products out there like cannabis that, you know, can supplement some of the symptoms that people feel with Mm -hmm. a lot less risk than what they are going to be experiencing through products such as opioids, etc.
2: Yeah, yeah. You just brought up risk, and you're the risk manager, do you, I mean, you're the risk manager overseeing all of your brands, like for the whole company, right? Yes. So you, you double in different markets, not even just in Canada, but again, in the U.S. and in the other global spaces. How do you navigate that?
0: Uh, I think it's different. I mean, you you have to I mean, and again, that's why it's so hard to speak just from a, from a company perspective. And it, it's because there's just so many people involved there. I mean, uh, if you looked at a company, you know, a lot of the cannabis companies in Canada, we per- participate in industry associations. And so um, a lot of that is working with regulators to understand what are those requirements, not only here in Canada, but um, in, say, the United States, Germany, Israel, etc. Um, you know, a company like Aurora has awesome, awesome team members. regulatory teams that, you know, company like um, in Canada would deploy is regulated by the government of Canada. So the government of Canada is you know essentially setting up the safety labeling packaging requirements that a company in Canada who produces the products has to abide by in order to release them to the consumer market. And so we navigate A lot of these international places, you know, it's good for these countries to see that um, the Canadian government is managing a lot of the kind of basic requirements around the kind of minimum requirements that need to be met for these products to be released. And so, you know, beyond that we have, you know, and, and companies have great government teams that work with the governments to ensure that the products are, you know, meeting the standards necessary to release them to the marketplace. And so it's not necessarily something that um, is is as difficult as it might seem. And it's because, you know, and, and you're, you'll run into this with the United States, but the, the government is working you know, through the frameworks as far as what legalization would look like. Um, and even in this case, I think from the Biden administration, a lot of it has been on um, med- medical and decriminalization. And so they might just come up with a framework around that. Um, And that's going to be kind of helpful for consumers when they do start consuming the product to understand that um, there is a level of um, safety involved in the the consumption process.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's what stands out to me just is the education aspect like even the difference between as you explained earlier between hemp and cbd and you know traditional marijuana like I feel, I feel like there's a lack of education to the general public about what the products are what they do um and the and the varying degrees of them as well and what they they can be used for and, and benefit you and i think some people are like up to their nose in research and know all the details and then i think there's lots of people who don't know anything <laughs>
0: yeah exactly
1: so you know from and of course you're handling you know the insurance for for you know your company for these products and so and in on an international kind of scale so you know in your position you know the the insurance aspect much must be difficult because it's new or it's a newer it's a newer avenue to to run down. So you know what have you found to be some of the challenges that you faced in your position with insurance?
0: I think a lot of it, it comes down to just education, and I don't know if it's necessarily unique to cannabis itself. I mean, I ran into this a lot when I was working with pharmaceutical companies, especially around novel drugs. Um, the the good kind of part around cannabis is you know again we're regulated by the canadian government or whatever governments we may sell products by so there's some level of you know pre-underwriting even being done for the insurers themselves so for canada for example uh when legalization first happened only um flour was legalized and uh uh basically other products like oils and then it wasn't until later that things like edibles became legal for consumers to have and so underwriters and insurance kind of had that opportunity to to see that it's already being scrutinized quite heavily by the government And it didn't mean that it wasn't necessarily, but then it came down to an education process. And I think that kind of is a big part of it. And so, you know, for somebody like myself that involved actually going to London, uh, to Lloyd's of London and visiting and with the underwriters, I brought um, part of my team to help educate the market because as you know, we're kind of talking about right now, a lot of it's not legal in the United Kingdom, that's where a lot of the insurance capacity comes from. And so it was, you know, our team sitting down and, and kind of explaining insurance market to um, the markets themselves and um, helping them understand kind of the products. And a lot of this just comes down to us doing that and then not really expecting much in return. Um, we understand it might take certain underwriters and markets three, four, four, five years to get comfortable with cannabis, but because we're taking, you know, our, you know, somebody like myself takes a really long-term approach to these things, I'm fine with that. Um, I understand that it's gonna take that long and um, as long as there is enough insurers on board to at least give you at least some capacity, that's, that's helpful.
2: I've seen from the underwriting side, one of the big challenges, you know, I'm not an insurer, I don't, I'm not an underwriter, but things that, you know, I've done and uh, talked about in the past with the uh, cannabis market is that you can't use form policies for this. And I'm sure, you've, you know, you've, t- you've dealt with, you know, novice drugs in the pharmaceutical um, space, but for cannabis, I don't think you can have just, you know, your typical form policy for this type of market again because it is so varied legally um you know how i said like how do you insure a property that is you know growing cannabis you know i don't think that's the same as you know insuring I, just a, any agricultural property
0: yeah so i mean it, it- it is, and it is, I mean, what's interesting, so if you look at like liability insurance, it's actually a lot of the forms I have read are on life science wording forms, which is interesting. So yeah. they've actually just endorsed them with a cannabis component to it. Um, some of the, the property insurers are actually, they're, they're mostly agricultural insurers. So you're seeing companies who are traditionally insuring crops like tomatoes and, and vegetables, et cetera. Um, And they're, they're applying those same types of wordings. Um, And that's what I think so unique about cannabis in the industry. It's not unique at all. in that you're still, you still have a plant that's producing a, a, a good at the end of the day. Um, The, I think the hardest part for uh, underwriters and such to kind of get around is one, it's very illegal in, you know, many countries around the world and in, If you looked at insurance capacity, a lot of that is coming from places like the United States or London where cannabis isn't legal on, say, a a consumer level, um, or even medical in many cases. Um, So that's obviously the number one. And then the second is going to be the high value of crops. If you look at a single cannabis plant versus a, a single tomato plant, The the cannabis plant is worth a lot more money, and so that's kind of the two, the two different items. But everything else is 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 relatively the the same as far as you know what what you're insuring.
1: Yeah, I was gonna be like, I was just about to jump on that. Like, are we really comparing tomato plants to cannabis plants? Because I think one might be have a little bit more security around it because they don't want their plants to get stolen. Whereas I think if a one tomato plant goes missing, someone's not gonna care.
2: Well, I think it also goes. How do you control the price point? Yeah. You know, on that, that's that's the difference. You know, on that. Yeah, end. and that's
0: still stabilizing, right? And I think, you know, in in my true opinion, I think that once once cannabis is normalized, it, it won't really be as as much of a uh, um, you know I need to have guard dogs and and all these other crazy things. Um, to ensure that it's protected. I mean, um, even looking at Canada, the requirements for the vaults that cannabis companies have when the regulations first came out versus now is, is different. I mean, you're talking vaults that were like this thick doors and, and, and for some reason there was this kind of assumption that people were gonna be trying to break into these facilities and, and steal everything. Um, but that just, it never materialized, right? And I think as it becomes more normalized and people are growing plants in their houses and in their backyards and et cetera, the, the level of theft, I don't think will um, necessarily be there as much once there's novelty to, to the plant itself.
1: Yeah. It just certainly will take a fair amount of time, I think. And I think we've come a long way. I mean, I think, you know, when. You look back at to, um, you know, Northern California when you know things started to get more legalized in the United States. Um, I think at first, like that, there was a lot of criminal behavior going on to protect everyone's product. Um, and I mean, I can't say I'm like I have my my ear to the door of what's going on in there, but I certainly feel like you're hearing about it a little bit less now as it's you know, <laughs> you know. more normalized. <laughs> You know, there has to be some challenges you see though, between, you know, the and we kind of touched on it earlier between the Canadian and the U.S. market, you know, because we're, you know, U.S. is touch and go as to what each state does, um, it must be, I, I guess, a little more difficult to, to manage the regulation of even just the insurance coverage of that when you, you're going into different market sets. Some states it's okay, some states it's not, you just don't, don't really know.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And and that's, that's very true.
1: Well, you also have
2: uh, in the United States, we face a different issue too, where, you know, you've got the federal component and then you've got the individual states and how you kind of can navigate the two makes it very hard. And that's actually where a lot of litigation comes out of, at least from what I've seen, I had experience with, Um, but you said something interesting, like, you know, when we were talking about like these more like, not using a form policy or some things can be formed from a liability aspect of it. I mean, how, and like, cause your risk measure like how, what you're looking at something globally, how do you account for, you know, on a liability policy for a cannabis?
0: I mean, it's, it's just like any other company's liability component. I mean, there's, there's going to be a bodily injury and a, and a property or I guess, bodily injury component to, to most, um product you're releasing to the marketplace and so um i think when you think about insurance it's it's the last step of the risk management process so you know you're going to avoid control retain share and then you're going to transfer your risk so there's there's a much more um i guess components to just the the simple you know release a product or come up with a product and then release it to the market i mean as i had mentioned in in canada there is a ton of requirements before we can even release our product to the marketplace as far as quality assurance goes. Uh, as I mentioned, we don't sell um, cannabis in the United States. So, I mean, for us, that's not really a, a something that we would really be able to navigate or are navigating right now. I, I don't have to personally do that um, myself. And then when you look, you know, internationally, again, they they also have regulations, the government sets protocols and, because, you know, as I noted before, there's QA release and requirements in Canada. Um, oftentimes, it does give other jurisdictions internationally comfort knowing that, that, you know, the Canadian government has set some pretty strict requirements as far as what kind of product can be released to the marketplace. Yeah.
2: Well, I have a question for you, and I'll just talk about Canada. We don't get into any of the other um, markets. What about... Uh, medical, you know, you're selling it on a medical marijuana, you're selling medical marijuana. Is there any type of accountability on, you know, uh, intoxication aspect? You know, like here, and I'll give you an example, just to clarify, somebody who has a medical marijuana card, they're legally allowed to use it, but they work in an industry where they use a lot of machinery or they're a driver for a company or something like that. that becomes an issue a lot of times, especially with a private employer internally. How do you deal with that like in, in the Canadian setting?
0: I, you know, I personally don't think there's any difference between cannabis and any other substance that's used to manage, you know, pain or or even just be used as a medication in general. Um, I think that you know even employers do think about these types of things. There's there's a level of saying you know the CDC has issued uh, tons of guidance around you know workplace safety and drug abuse etc. You know that might be applied, and I think that those same rules would imply for intoxication um, or substance use from cannabis versus anything else, and it's really you know portable to. Those other items. So, if you don't want employees, um, you know, taking, you know, an opioid or or something in an operating machine, you can apply the same policy to to cannabis as far as it being added to that item. If I'm, you know, say, running a company, um, you know, that's just something that that needs to be factored into what kind of risk tolerance they have around. Um, that, and as a lot of employers learn it, sometimes it's just a, it's, it's an, it's on the job learning. I mean, you have losses, you have to look at the losses. What are the results is of those losses? And then from there you can set policies, um, and learnings around, you know, what may and may not be accessible use for operating things like machinery just go from there. So uh, one
1: thing I, I'm curious about, um, is, you know, obviously as as cannabis and marijuana gets legalized i mean it's already legal in canada but in the united states like you have a lot of like small personal people who are trying to develop their own products like themselves and and sell them and you know i feel like that that is where, at least in my opinion, that's where a lot of the trouble comes because there's no regulation for that. Someone just like sell, you know, has their little side business and they're, you know, making whatever they're making in their kitchen and then <laughs> selling it to others. Like, I feel like that's where a lot of the there's a lot of risk and obviously those individuals are likely not insured. Um, and at least in a, you know a company like Aurora, or other companies similar to it, like you have to follow specific regulations, at, like. Just like a far, like a standard pharmaceutical company that you know you know the products going out there you, you have to have X amount of you know THC and it's labeled and you, you know have your clear regulations attached to it. I think a lot of people get confused because they compare that to the home person who's you know making you know marijuana butter in their kitchen and then selling it you know wherever they sell it. I don't know, but I'm sure they do. <laughs> um, but I feel like that's where a lot of the bad rap. Gets that there, you know, there's the potential danger because the danger really is more associated, likely where it's not, there's not the regulations attached.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's exactly it. Right. And so that's where you can kind of say, you know, what is the, the benefit to having it legalized with regulations in place? And so um, when you, when you look at it, and, and that's, that's this the the reality behind you know why why maybe even a gray and black market still does exist um so in canada you know we're we're obviously regulated to sell those products but for an edible for example you can't sell an edible that has more than 10 milligrams of thc in it right now um, and so yeah. in the united states you can you can cross the border or even go to the gray market and buy a product with 100 milligrams of thc in it that's maybe even similar price
2: yeah. but
0: the difference between that is you know as a canadian In LP, if you're buying from someone, you know that your product's been tested for pesticides, et cetera, to ensure that it is the quality that you would, you know, be able to at least rely upon as a consumer, based on what Health Canada's kind of laid out. And so I think you know, what's what's interesting is that somebody who's maybe newer to the market or trying products for the first time from a, a legalized trusted source is that um, you can have a little bit of certainty knowing that it wasn't just whipped up in somebody's kitchen and you don't know where they got it from um and so that's kind of i think you know the the sides and why people are really excited about cannabis being legalized because there is that um reliability in markets where the government is taking that stance, well, however it looks in the United States, eventually, I'm I'm not sure, obviously, that's, yeah. I don't think anybody really knows at this point. But I can say, like, you know, if you if you came to Canada, and you walked into a cannabis store to produce to buy uh, consumer recreational product, uh, you could have some certainty that there was, you know, good quality control going into that product
1: being released. Yeah. Yeah, and it, you, it's almost like I mean I don't I don't think any of us I, I don't think any of us were around during that time during this time. But like when you know when alcohol wasn't as regulated, you know people were making like moonshine, you know, in their toilets or whatever they were doing or their bathtub. Not the bathtub. I don't think it was. The
2: toilet. I don't know.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Sounded bad. I mean, it's more contained. I don't know, <laughs> but you know what I mean. Like there's there's
2: a more risk it, of flushing it down the toilet. That's what they didn't want. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but I mean, there there is regulation even in the alcohol industry. You know, you have to the bottles have to be labeled. There, I mean, there has to be ingredients like there. I think there, there is comfort in knowing that there are checks and balances before you use or buy and then use a product. However, it's probably like, it's much more expensive because you have to pay for, you know, there has to be, with checks and balances, you have to pay people to do those checks and balances. And I think that's probably in in my eyes, that's a view of, or that's, uh, that is an issue too, because people are always going to want to get things cheaper and like, well, I don't want to pay, you know, X amount at the store. I can go on the, you know, the, the black market or gray market and get it cheaper. You just don't know what you're getting. But then if you something happens there's no insurance <laughs> and that's 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 gonna exist
0: yeah but that's for all products right like i mean yeah. you can go buy knockoff rolex or a knockoff mm-hmm. purse or you know whatever thing online or in a at a, a market in the middle of nowhere i mean it's it's not unique to i would say like the cannabis industry to have that type of concern and so i mean you there's always going to be consumers who will go that road and that's i think risk that um they they end up taking
2: yeah i've never heard that analogy before like a knockoff rolex to a like <laughs> what would be a knockoff cannabis product <laughs>
1: what? Well, well i, I think yeah. i think
0: just going to a going to a store in the united states now for example so i mean you you again, have a, a federally illegal product. So you, you're you then looking at your state regulation to say mm. what that entails. If you were to buy a cannabis product from a state in which maybe it wasn't legal, you that is a knockoff, really. And so you're, you're not knowing where the plant came from, what type of testing was done before that plant was produced into a certain product, and then you're consuming it. So, um, I mean, that's that is really <laughs> what it would be.
1: Yeah. So one thing that comes up, or it's come up a few times on on this podcast when we talk about cannabis, though, and um, is, you know, and you may not be able to speak to this or not, but you know, when you have someone who's you know either in, in Canada, you could just you where regardless of where you live, you can you can use cannabis products, but if you have someone who's working and they're injured on the job either they they're taking medical marijuana or they've purchased legal marijuana or wh- whatever it may be um, the impact on that workplace injury if they were if that happened while they were taking that product have you know I, I know that's not exactly what you do but I'm sure you probably have your ear to the the door a little bit more than we do in, in Canada um, but what are you seeing as the implications of that is it just is it not a, is it like taking Advil on while you're working or is it a little bit different
0: there is guidance around around substances in the workforce and you know where i i I again personally try to guide people to think about this is is treating it like any other substance that you might have so you know for example there's there's rules that say you shouldn't consume and drive so if you're a person who needs to be driving it's not exactly something that you can consume and then complete your job so you'd have to figure out whether or not there's a substance that you could substitute with mm-hmm. that might not have that same impact on you and so you know that's just just one example but I, I think it generally would apply to any type of substance that you may use to treat an injury or pain um, or even alcohol right like rule around whether or not you can have a pint at lunchtime and go back to work. Um, you know, I think certain companies will come up with certain policies based on their level of comfort. Um, but at the end of the day, I, I wouldn't say that it should be treated anything unique compared to any level of impairment with any level of drug that may be result. Like if you're taking some type of medication, any type of pharmaceutical, and there are side effects to it. You should be aware of those side effects and ensure that you know you can or cannot do your your job while consuming. I
1: I feel like it's like people need some time to catch up in a way too. Like they're (laughs) saying, and and also I think it helps to start looking looking at it from a more a medical a more medical pharmaceutical perspective rather than a like black market drug perspective but I think that's going to take a lot of time um but I mean it I mean it's true like you yeah. take all like whatever medication you like say you get your wisdom teeth out you can't drive your your butt home after you get your wisdom teeth out like there's no driving after that or you know any sort of medication it's says you know you don't operate heavy machinery but I think people don't have that same or you're not the general population is not thinking like that they they don't think of it the same way yet I think it just we have some evolution to go through before we get there. Yeah, I
2: think it comes down to regulation. It definitely yeah. does because you just said in Canada, you said like it's ten milligrams.
0: That's that's for adi- edi- edibles. Yeah, I think it's harder
2: here in the product. US. Yeah, I think it's harder here because not everybody is taking the same thing. You're not getting it from one source. It's not government regulated necessarily, so it might not be ten milligrams. And I think that's sort of where we. You know, employers put into issues, you know, here, you know, especially like I use a company that does machinery, you know, you operate a lot of machinery. They don't allow drug use. They even say in their policies, you're subject to uh you know uh, drug testing, you know, at a random drug test, yeah, you know, at any given time, it's in their employee handbook. And then you get, you know, there's a state where you know they've made Marijuana use, medical marijuana use legal, they get tested and they're going to test positive, whether well, they're doing it at work or they're, they're just doing it at home. And that's where we're seeing a lot of the litigation end of it. But again, that comes from, you know, I get what you're saying about like the intoxication and any type of drug. Like, you don't want somebody using OxyCotton, you know, hyped up on OxyCotton or Valium or anything like that operating the same piece of, you know, those, that type of equipment.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly, and I think eventually people will just realize like it's it's just another substance. I mean, you yeah. you should treat it you treat it very similar, and the same rules apply in Canada. I mean, um, but, you know, I've I've worked with uh, mining companies, and I I have friends who are engineers or or people who work in in camps at at such, and they have dry dry camp rules. Even though cannabis is legal in Canada, um, it doesn't just apply to It applies to alcohol, it applies to other things, and companies have found that just giving a blanket statement to substances, not, you know, necessarily um, highlighting that cannabis is any different, just saying it's, this is now something on this substance list that needs to be monitored and you will be, say, even tested or, um, you know, you just can't consume it. And that's kind of the, the line that a lot of companies have taken.
2: Yeah. I'm going to pick your insurance out of your brain, Brayden. So, in Canada, as I, I'm not, you know, I don't practice in Canada. Do um, insurance companies, you know, when you're paying for you know, legalized medical marijuana, is there like a medical coding, like a certain amount that they have to, they can, oh. they pay a bill? So, if somebody says, you know, hey, I, I got my medical marijuana, this is, you know, insurance company, I need you to reimburse. Do you have that there?
0: Yep. Yep, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, it, it really depends on the insurer that you have. So, um, you know, our, I would say, like, our company has an insurance provider, and they're one of a couple in Canada that actually do reimburse for medical cannabis. And similar to any other Yes, depending on the tier that you're in you know a b or c there's going to be a different deductible amount so you're getting reimbursed either 80 90 or 100 percent um and you file it no different than filing a dental claim it's very very much the same i mean or a claim for any other drug that you might be using um just as far as a prescription and it, it works the exact same. So it's it's kind of actually nice how easy they've been able to transition that as just another another item on the list of things you can get reimbursed for.
1: Although Canada has always been ahead of the game with with <laughs> prescriptions and healthcare <laughs> in the yes. US, I will say. <laughs> you have a leg or two up on us, I think. <laughs> <laughs> a little more progressive. Um, but... It, you know, what, sitting in, in your, sh- in your shoes and, and seeing that where things have progressed since you got, you know, got into this industry and where things are now, I mean, what do you think we're going to be seeing in, you know, five to 10 years? Like how, how many more changes are we going to see?
0: Yeah, I think a lot more normalization, right? I mean, I, I still think that it's, it's looked at as a taboo topic. And I think, Eventually, people will just treat it um, much similar to other um, things that they might consume. Like I would say, you know, personally, it's still a little bit weird if you are, you know, out about with friends and somebody's drinking a beer and somebody pulls out, say, a cannabis joint and smokes it. There's yeah. still a stigma around that, although both are just as legal. Yeah, you know, we've we've been ingrained over the decades that. Both are not equalized, and it will take decades for people to just pull it out. But you know, having traveled internationally quite a bit, um, it's interesting in that in a lot of cultures, um, they they do treat it very normal. You know, it's um, I've I've had a privilege to say even traveling with uh, people from Israel. It's such and when they when they consume ca- cannabis it's very much part of of who, their identity and who they are and it doesn't have that stigma um you know that was maybe the group I was with but I think eventually you'll get to that point where you know people just don't treat it with a stigma and it, it just takes time and you know from an insurance side of things um that's it that's exactly it as well so you know we we might talk about Um, how I would work with insurers on this exact same topic and a lot of it's just bringing them to our facilities. I mean, I I always have an open invite with my, my insurers to come see our sites and I've toured Tons of them through our sites to just show them how normal this is, yeah. um, and and it's actually helped create really strong relationships. So you know, bringing them to our facility, showing them that this is very much similar to a, a pharmaceutical or an agriculture operation that they might have seen. They have to gown up. They have to gown down. They can't just yeah. like you know walk in and pull something off. Like there's security. There's <laughs> um, there's there's very much uh, a, a official you know operating business behind these things and when they see that they're like wow not what not expected to see but it's it's part of the conversations that um you know they take time to develop and and it it's just one of these things where you know over time it as these conversations happen and as people kind of start to realize that this is normal it just it will eventually get there
1: and i mean i i love that because i think that you explaining what your facility is like i think is 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 probably the best sales pitch to an insurer be like, look at our operation. Like this is not homegrown. Like we, we are very official. This is very like I, I even picture like very sterile. Like this is we treat it as like almost a medical facility. Um, and that has to anyone who's on the any insurers on or any yeah any insurers on the fence to come see that be like oh okay like (laughs) this this is not like what we the misconception we might have in our head
0: yeah and it's it's honestly been 10 out of 10 times where you have an insurer or somebody come to the facility and then they really actually it clicks like it they they understand that this isn't a fly-by-night operation i mean (laughs) um you show up to some of these facilities and they're very 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 um sophisticated operations and and you actually kind of get this sense of of hope and trust and and everything when you see these sites to say like oh wow okay like this is this is actually a legitimate industry and and i think there's something here and i think that's why investors are so excited about the future of cannabis at least at a you know a scale that canada has been able to develop
1: yeah and i i think it's here like i think it's happening in the u.s i just think we're a ways ways behind because of the lack of the federal the the federal aspect of it um but i think like states that are doing it they're doing it i just think it's just not on an like a national scale yeah
0: yeah exactly and and i'm sure there's probably some very good operators in the states i don't know what the, the 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 requirements are around that i mean we don't have any facilities down there but um I mean, I, th- I think as with anything, you'll you'll have maybe a, a couple of bad operators here or there. And that's, you know, from from an underwriting standpoint, it's about getting out and seeing it. I I've had insurance engineers at every single one of my, you know, cannabis production facilities and it's just to show them how legitimate these operations are. Yeah. And that, you know, if if they're looking at their portfolio of risk, you know, to for them to have something to benchmark against and, and oftentimes it's our facilities. <laughs>
2: Do you ever get asked about, you know, from, you know, because when we look at key uh, insurance industry concerns surrounding cannabis here in the United States, you know, they look at the impact of accident frequency, you know, potential coverage mandates, again, because you got the federal side and you have the states. um, And then, you know, issues that uh, arise with like having workers' compensation insurance and having adequate coverage on that. Um, How have you dealt with that?
0: Um, I mean, I think it just varies, varies all the time. Like, I mean, even for example, our, the US CBD operations that we do have, um, we have to, we have to work with the the state by state on requirements. It's actually been quite unique with COVID as well, because you have employees who are now in space to move to their states. And so they're operating from there, but their place of employment is in a different state. And so it's really just working with, um working with whoever to understand whatever the requirements are um and you're just doing doing the right thing ultimately i mean um, as an individual thats that's all you can really do is just try to understand what what is the the right thing to do in this situation and then you just have to work with whatever stakeholder it might be to make sure that they're getting what they need
1: yeah so we're, we're just about out of time but i i wanted to make sure we touched on this because you mentioned your your travels and I'm curious, um, you know, you said in Israel, it was, you know, it was very accepted to, you know, drink a beer and, and you know, consume a cannabis product at the same, you know, at the same place. But, what, you know, during your travels, where have you found is it the most openly accepted, um, you know, place to to consume cannabis out in the open without any stigma? Besides Amsterdam? Yeah. Besides Amsterdam. <laughs> yeah. We all know, they forget Amsterdam. <laughs> You can do a lot of things in Amsterdam that are not acceptable in other places. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to go there. Yeah, that's, that Amsterdam <laughs> is definitely, definitely
2: yeah.
0: Well, I mean, I wouldn't say so. I wasn't in Israel. I was actually traveling just in in meeting okay. Israeli people internationally. Um, I okay. found that very very open to that. Um, Colombia was maybe one place that I found was was quite. You know, people just it, yeah. There's a bad. I mean, there's a country that has a, a really bad stigma around it. But, um, you know, one of their biggest exports is flowers. And so I was down there for Mir de Flores, which is one of their, um, their their big flower festival that they have because it's such a big industry for them. And, um, you know, people just, they, they they like to enjoy it. And, and it's maybe a little bit normalized from that side of things. But I can say, you know, having been in Europe and, and Southeast Asia and South America that, um, you can find places of pockets. Obviously, you know you have to, you have to be careful as far as um, you know not doing anything illegal. And I do obviously never recommend it, but people do in these places when you are there. Um, they do consume, and you can see it when they when they do happen. Uh, obviously, because it is legal in Canada, that's where I would recommend people do come in and <laughs> try <laughs> cannabis there. Obviously, it is legal in some states on a state level, but not a federal level. So I won't comment on that. Yeah. Uh, but yes, uh, in, in that would be kind of, you know, wherever you go there, there is going to be groups of people generally in the younger generations that just don't have the same uh, belief around cannabis uses. some of the older generations do.
1: And do you think, I mean, I know it's this way in Amsterdam, but do you think it's going to eventually evolve? And maybe it's this way in Canada, I don't know. But evolve to be like you're at, you know, a local bar or restaurant and you're able to purchase a cannabis product right along with purchasing a glass of wine.
0: I would, I would hope so. I mean, I think there's still... There's still going to be that that maybe the issues with um, smoke inhalation, where you would yeah. have you know people still having to go outside, and so there being some type of consumption side to that. Edibles and cooking with edibles is, I think, uh, an interesting one because yeah. um, you know you can you can make a lot of products um, from rather you know meat to desserts to just snacks out of with cannabis, and so I think they'll they'll be those markets in developing it's just about you know as with anything making sure that there's a consumer base to actually make those types of ventures yeah. profitable um and it will slowly get there I, I truly do believe that over time um you know it's it's such a the industry so young as far as cannabis being an acceptable product um you know you're seeing obviously canada uh uruguay is one of the countries that's kind of opened it up you know from uh medical and and recreational side obviously Amsterdam has that Mm -hmm. same type of opportunity and then the medical markets will grow Germany's talking about it the U.S. is obviously talking about it Mm -hmm. the 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 times are changing and I I think it's for the benefit of um, not just people from a medical side but just you know the the general use of um, the cannabis plant whether it be in a form of cannabis or hemp um, for just general consumer products.
2: Yeah, it there's is a big funny. business side to it Oh my god! especially yes. yeah. taxes and that's yeah. where you're seeing a lot of states warm up is not just because of thinking of regulations and the consumer use but i mean from a tax perspective they you know they get a lot of states get a lot of revenue yeah. from that and controlling that yes uh,
1: and the, the restaurant thing i think is a, is interesting because I, I i do see i do feel like there's going to be like this whole cannabis-based restaurant thing happening like i I mean i i just i force like i think there's just so many people out there who experiment with it they're gonna figure out how to make things taste really good
0: (laughs) yeah i think so too i mean it the the hard part you'll always find with cannabis is that every it interacts with everybody's bodies differently and so you know you might have four people sitting at a table and everybody tries the same amount and the same bite and everybody will have a different experience um And so that's, I think, always going to be the trouble with things like um, food and just consumption in general. And so, I mean, whether you try for the first time in the future, I would say low and slow is kind of the motto. I mean, um, it's never it's never good to jump off the uh, (laughs) jump off the deep end and just, you know, not know as with anything. Right. You want to consume responsibly. And I think uh, that's the way to do it when you, when you are doing it, just knowing that, um, it's something that is going to, you know, have an impact on your body and you just don't know. Yeah. And so it's always safer to go low and slow,
1: low, and uh, low. And slow is a very good motto. I like it. <laughs> well, Braden, thank you so much for, for joining us, um, today. I, I, I and I appreciate you indulging, um, my, or at least my, my naive point of view about everything that's going on in the world of cannabis—I will be the first to admit I'm pretty naive about it. But, but thank you for enlightening me and our listeners. Um, I appreciate it. So, and for for our for our listeners, if you like what you hear, you can always like and subscribe to the Defense of Arrests on Apple Podcasts. And um, new in 2022, we, you can find us on YouTube at um, the Defense of Arrests.